I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Hi, Joe. Hi. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. We're talking a lot about different forms of intelligence, and I, in some ways I think this, this marathon is going to be sort of a... a um, sort of a survey of different forms of intelligence and different applications <laughs> of intelligence and things who's, like who's that. Who's doing the experiment, right? Yeah, Are we right. the mice? Um, but uh, and I want to talk more about that, but just to sort of prove the point and prove the um, sometimes unlikely overlap between different fields, um, you guys actually mentioned Frank Drake. Yes. And um, so I, I only know Frank Drake because of the Drake equation. Um, I'll try to characterize it really briefly in case people in the audience don't know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But it's this notion that we can kind of get a rough ballpark estimate of how much life there might be in the universe by taking the number of galaxies multiplied by the sort of percentage that we think have solar systems, by the percentage that we think might have habitable planets, by the percentage that we think might have life, and you go from a big universe to sort of a, a small number of potential planets. Does that, does that sort of characterize Well, it's it a big right? universe, and so if the fractions are reasonable. It's a it's large a big, number of planets It's a as big well. number. So, so we, so I used to, I, for many years, I worked at a, a TV network here in San Francisco, um, very different from the SETI Institute, um, but you, you would have actually been shocked to see how many times we invoked the Drake equation, or sort of a, or sort of a, a twist on it, and probably a pretty naive twist, when we talked about, um, okay, so, you know, if we, if there are, you know, so many people in the country, and this many of them perhaps know something about some issue, and then, and then that percentage has a video camera, and that percentage is going to think to upload it to our website, and that percentage will actually, when we end up at actually a very small number that we can put on TV. Well, actually, it's not so much the Drake equation. What you were doing is invoking something that we usually call Fermi questions, which are um, questions about a topic for which you think you have absolutely no answer, mm -hmm. no knowledge. But if you start, and, and the most famous one, I think, is how many piano tuners are there in Chicago? How many piano tuners are there in Chicago? Well... It's not a number you'd know off the top of your head, but you can start by mm -hmm. thinking about how many people are in Chicago, mm -hmm. how many people are likely to have pianos, mm -hmm. uh, how often does a piano need tuning, etc. And you can work in that way to numbers that are, you know, much better than an order of magnitude, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is. You know, for astronomers, <laughs> that's pretty good. I love that. I love, I love this notion that there are tools, sort of cognitive tools and, and tricks to the trade that we can use, you know, anywhere from sort of a management consulting to your work at SETI to our work at a cable TV network. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is, as you were talking about, experiments with dolphins and, and thinking about ways of sort of thinking about other intelligences, sort of a question I that occurred to me is, and you might have you might have sort of concrete examples of this, or maybe more speculative examples. But how does SETI's work? How could SETI's work? Just thinking about other kinds of intelligence be useful to us here on Earth with oh. with other people? Gee, I'll pay you later. <laughs> I think you know I I am the ultimate Pollyanna, perhaps, but I think SETI can change the world, and it can do so in the following way: people. Many people are interested in SETI. Many people don't know, don't yet know about SETI because we have not yet told our story well enough. But if we can get the world actively involved in the search, and after all, if there's any 
problem which is global. This is certainly one. The environment is another, but there aren't any signals being sent to California. They're being sent to the planet Earth. So if we can get people actively involved, so they think about it, they actually think about their connection to the cosmos. Mm -hmm. The fact that the iron in the hemoglobin in their blood was cooked up in a massive star eight billion years ago. You know, they are intimately connected with the universe and SETI and thinking about someone else out there. To me, what it does is it's an opportunity to hold up a mirror to all of us on this planet in a way that makes us see ourselves as all the same, all earthlings, right? And maybe it can trivialize the differences among humans that we're willing to spill, spill blood over. So I think SETI can help to change the world. I like that a lot because it, it sort of um, puts light to this notion, and we were hearing this a bit before, of sort of science as, you know, cold and, and rational. You're really talking about science as an engine for empathy. Absolutely. Maybe science I, is an engine for exploration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, uh, well, as I said, it's a lot of fun, but it can actually make a difference. Uh, we know the world's interested in SETI. SETI at home is fantastic um, experiment in distributed computing. Well, and, and you talk about, uh, and I don't know if you guys thought about it this way or not. So I was a SETI at home user. I remember running it on my old blue iMac in my dorm room at Michigan State University. And, like, I mean, it could have not, it, it could have been sort of like piping into nowhere. It could have been, it could all have been a sham, and it still would have been an incredibly effective tool for communication. Because that was always on my screen, and I was always explaining it to people, and they were going, oh, wow, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, but then after a while, it was too passive, I think. You think? You were paying the electrons out of the wall, right? You, we weren't getting your think-ons. Mm. We weren't, so SETI at home, yes, you can turn the crank, and you can do service computing, and it's fabulous, and it's launched this whole suite of new scientific explorations mm. that can be done by uh, people at home. But I want to take that another step farther. I want to get you involved so I can tell you the SETI story well, that's so that I can help to trivialize the differences among humans. So that's, that's really interesting because... Um, I and like I want you to make the search better because you're cleverer than I am. Um, different forms of intelligence, very different forms of intelligence. Um, so that's interesting. So you actually think for as, for as successful and kind of as much of a signature you know, project as it was, you think it had some it is. flaws. It's still great. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. it's great, but it goes only so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it doesn't give you the opportunity to make the search better. Okay, so that's, that's interesting. You can just do the search the way you can do it. My, but I want to let you, and the collective, collective you, uh-huh. um, tell me how to make the search better. Not only tell me, but help me to do it. Um, what's your favorite movie? Starts with a C. <laughs> really? Um, I was I was hoping it would be you know um, last tango in Paris or something sort of a curveball. Um, if you if SETI had a if SETI had a production company um, and you were in charge of financing new movies new stories um, maybe an HBO miniseries or something um, to tell the story that you want to tell what um, what would it be about? Well, I'd start with Contact Two. Um, Zemeckis changed the ending of the book in order to facilitate a sequel. But in terms of Hollywood speak, it didn't 
Contact One didn't make enough money mm -hmm. to go for the sequel. Mm -hmm. I think that's a shame. I think we have an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I don't know what else I would do in terms of the movie world. What about, what about a SETI? Let's, let's actually change it up and let, let's do one of those sort of great office sitcoms. If there's an office sitcom set at SETI. This is, this is, this is actually a question I have because, because in the world, in, let, me, let me back up one step. In the world, world of media and journalism, sometimes it, it I, I honestly look around sometimes when I think about the work that you guys do at SETI or the work that people do, the work that Saul Griffith does on some of these big problems and I think, man, we're wasting our time. What are we doing with all this small stuff? But I will say one very satisfying thing about it is that there's something to do every day. There's something to achieve every day. You know, you sort of put new things out there and you have that very fast, very quick feedback loop. So on an organizational level, I mean, forget the sort of big overarching mission. Just day to day at the office working on these big, like, could it be any bigger projects that take many, many years to play out? What do you do every day? Oh, what do we do every day? We make better code, right? We make the uh, hardware run better. We've gone through decades of building our own special purpose signal processing hardware and then traveling the globe to various telescopes to use it. So what are we, what are we doing now? Well, first of all, we built our own telescope, or we started. Mm -hmm. right? We have Allen Telescope Array. Mm -hmm. Paul Allen funded the technology mm -hmm. development, first phase of construction. So we have 42 Anybody guess why? 42 telescopes. We'd like to grow it to 350. Right. But break that down. Break that but down. But that's when to be able to get on the air day and night. When we're talking about that telescope project, is it, I mean, is it, when you break a telescope project down, because I really have no idea. It's such an abstraction to me, the idea of, complete abstraction, the idea of building a telescope. What, um, is it just a series of, like, meetings, like Outlook invitations, <laughs> and you kind of go to them and agree on things? How does, like, what is, how do you do that? Oh, well, our partner is UC Berkeley, so... Uh, you might imagine that it's all flat demograph. <laughs> so we have this users list, and every problem gets put on there and gets commented on by everyone. Mm -hmm. And then we've got a project engineer who actually, at the end of the day, gets something built, gets mm -hmm. something done. Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, the luxury of having a couple of years to do technology development. Mm -hmm. Just do that. You need a feed. You need a receiver. You need an antenna, a shape. You need a backbone of computing. You need code that actually moves the telescope. And then you need the back end stuff that mm -hmm. finds the signals. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been doing for years. But all of these pieces, people went off into their labs okay. and they, they, they had fun, they played. They came up with lots of innovations. There are 12 patents that we have so far on building this thing. And now we have the telescope and we have to use it. So day to day, Oh, why didn't that script run last right. night? Why didn't, you know, why didn't I, why did the telescopes, the three telescopes that can possibly collide, uh, why did they shut down? Well, because they almost collided. So mm -hmm. what's going on? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. And, and if you came to a weekly meeting, you would see that the people who work with me figure they have more than enough to do right. on a given day. And they wish that, that I'd stop having new ideas <laughs> because, oh, who's going to do that, right? Are there office politics at SETI? Oh, there's office politics in the world. Right. I mean, the, the, we're people. We're people. And I have uh, people who worked at SETI for a very long time. They're very loyal. I'm very loyal to them. But, yeah, sometimes the mice want to run the farm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes 
I want to say, no, we're going in this direction. So we actually have an epiphany happening at the SETI Institute. We have done our research in a stovepipe. We've done it in isolation. We had our own special purpose hardware that we had built, so really nobody else could help. Mm -hmm. But now we're just throwing that out the door because servers are yeah. fast enough. The commoditization we're, of the search for extra intelligence. That exponential, you know, thank you, Sir Moore. Um, or Lord Moore, or God mm -hmm. Moore, whatever. <laughs> it's great. And so it's now software only. Got it. So we can invite the world in. But that's a very uncomfortable sure. place sure. when you've been doing it all yourself. So learning, adopting a new culture mm -hmm. to work in the open world, you know, leaving the cathedral, joining the bazaar, mm -hmm. not getting mugged and really mm -hmm. enjoying it, right? <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like, a, that could be a great, thing. someone needs to write that essay, mugged in the bazaar. That <laughs> would go. be a good oh, sort of, well. yeah. Boy, you read some of the emails I get. Right. Gee, that hurt. <laughs> what, um, you said you used the word vocation earlier, which is one of my favorite words, because um, it just, I feel like we probably don't use it enough these days, actually. Um, was this kind of work you know, when you think about your career and your, your path towards this kind of work, was it like a piece of iron from a far-off star being driven towards a magnet, or was it much more sort of meandering and no. you found yourself no, here? No, no, I, I got an undergraduate degree in engineering physics, then did a PhD in theoretical astrophysics, um, wondering how little stars that are too small, and I named them brown dwarfs, what I used Lawrence Livermore bomb codes to model these stars. It was really a lot of fun. Wait, wait, bomb code. Oh, you mean this is sort of the simulations for the explosions of nuclear bombs and you... Yeah, nuclear synthesis. Oh, that's that's what a star does. That's mm -hmm. what a, a bomb mm -hmm. does, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I was, I was having a great time with brown dwarfs. I had a postdoc to work on that. I wondered why the public should pay me to have such a good time. But then just... Uh, as I was leaving Berkeley, about to take up my postdoc, um, somebody gave me the Cyclops Report, which was a NASA, Ames Research Center, and Stanford summer study on how to build a detector for extraterrestrial intelligence. I never thought about it. And they gave me this book because my first year of graduate student, uh, student many, many years before, I learned how to program the world's first computer, mini-computer. Anybody here remember the PDP-8S? No, too young, <laughs> too young. It was amazing. We had something on our desk that was a computer. It had 64K of RAM, but heck, it was on our desk. So I learned how to program that, and years later, as I was leaving graduate school, that was given as surplus equipment to a Berkeley professor uh, an X-ray astronomer who had a really clever idea about mm -hmm. how to piggyback on our radio astronomy colleagues' mm -hmm. observations. And somebody gave him this computer. What do I do with this? Well, Jill used to... So they came to me and asked me to join their group because I could program this because computer. Because you could code. I could code. Oh, I and I, But what I got out of the Cyclops report was not how to build radio telescopes and blah, blah, blah. I got out of the, this report that after millennia of... Humans asking the priests and the philosophers, what should we believe about life out there? We suddenly had some tools as a result of World War II and radio astronomy that we could actually do a scientific exploration. Belief could be thrown out the door. It wasn't relevant. We could explore and try and find out what is. That's what got me hooked on mm -hmm. SETI. That's what I've stayed hooked on.
Mm-hmm. That's why it's so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, that just this notion that code and the ability to sort of speak this language was a, was a doorway for you and sort Huge. of your entree into this, do you, um, how important do you think that is across the board? I mean, certainly for scientists and engineers, um, increasingly for journalists, um, it's important. But would you make code like a fundamental literacy for, say, everybody in school? Or do well, you think that's going a bit too far? I worry about if we, if we don't do that, we're all so dependent on somebody else's coding. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we actually, it would serve us all well to know a bit about the fundamentals of what makes the things that we rely on work. Mm-hmm. How does the world work? The world works on code. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we should, in fact, understand a bit mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I always wish that instead of um, learning trigonometry as triangles, I would have learned it as video games. Because if you look at the code for Super Mario Brothers or mm-hmm. you know whatever the newest sort of like pointing, shooting, killing video game is, it's just like trigonometry. It's just tons and millions of little, you know, bits of trigonometry every second. Exactly. I feel like as a high school I would have been a lot more interested in that than I was in. I think there are a lot of high school kids that are more interested in that than, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. what's going on in their classroom. Because suddenly they can make that connection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. One of the things that scientists, I really appreciate about science and scientists is the language. As a writer, um, I always just like the fact that um, you have things like the Cyclops report and brown dwarfs and quarks. Is there's that? And you and you know you you mentioned before. Oh, we do it to you, just pull your yeah, leg. Yeah, no, right? you've I you know I you've, you've said this a few times about the sort of the fun of it, the the sheer fun of it. And I think there's a lot of people who really love their work and believe in it, but they might not actually use the word fun, um, or they would only use it in sort of very specific sort of parts of the process. And the rest, they say, well. It's a slog. I think of politics. I think of public policy. I know some people who are true believers and, and truly believe in what they're doing, and they do a good job, but they don't call it fun. How important is that? Oh, I, science is a slog, too. You don't get any answers without really working at it, and you got all of the politics and all the nasty stuff that you have in any other realm of life. But it is overall fun because you get to set the rules. Um, and so people might say they were passionate, they were compelled, they were um, inspired. But at the end of the day, I have to say, figuring out puzzles is fun. Like a game, like a crossword, like a Sudoku. Absolutely. Like a great game of the universe. Giant, giant, giant Sudoku. Exactly. (laughs) The biggest Sudoku ever. So, you know, one thing that, that I wish that you converse, if you can continue the conversation, Saul, I think, said that some of his wife's family are evolutionary. You know, they, believe, they don't believe in evolution. How do we move forward in a world of science and technology with that increasing, it seems to me, increasing percent of our population that doesn't get something that's so fundamental? Or everyone, everyone doesn't sort of believe the same story, or the, they don't, they don't right. sort of believe. And it's just a story that's presented at the molecular level. All right. We'll keep it going. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.